You're listening to Radio Free Satan. Enjoy the show. I would like, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. Oh, me? Hey. Oh, hey. Hey, how's it going? Uh, welcome to Tickler's Anonymous. Uh, my name's Adam. And... What, are you serious? Um, hey, welcome to Nine Cents. I was just kidding about the Tickler's Anonymous thing. Um... I'm not. I, I don't have a problem with. I don't have a problem with tickling myself. I mean, I don't. That sounded like I. That sounded like I meant that I tickled myself and that that I didn't have. A, I don't. I don't have a tickling myself problem. But that's not to say that I have a tickling problem in general either. I mean, I. I mean, when it's appropriate, I tend. I mean, I. If the opportunity arises and 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 the other person is is willing, I'm okay with the tick. Um, let's start over. Hold on, can we? We can edit this, right? All right. Um, welcome to Nine Cents. Nine Cents is a satanic perspective of our modern world, and I am your host, Adam Campbell. It is great to have you. Um, it is uh, September twenty eighth. Yeah, and I have a great show for you this week. I just had before I go on here. I gotta. Uh, I gotta be honest. Uh, I just had a piece of pie after dinner, and. Uh, it was really sugary, and I'm starting to regret having eaten it. Really, really sugary. You know, pie is one of those things where before you eat dinner, you're like, oh, you know what would be great to cap off the meal? A piece of pie would be amazing. Up until that point, <laughs> two, three, ten minutes after you've consumed said pie, then you start rethinking the whole idea. Uh, and and that's kind of where I am right now, but I think uh, I think I'll be okay if you'll bear with me <laughs> a little bit. <sighs> okay, hey, let's talk about the show. <laughs> I mean, that's what you hear, right? Let's talk about uh, the Greater Magic episode that's coming up. It is going to be airing on the twenty eighth of October, and I just want to take a second. I I reached out in social media circles, and I want to say it here. Thank you very much to everyone who contributed questions or who are planning on contributing questions. I truly appreciate it. It's 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 the interaction that makes this show worthwhile for me and for my guests and hopefully that uh, that that interaction is is worth something to you. So I truly appreciate those of you who who went out of your way to come up with uh, genuine questions and send them in or who bit the bullet and decided to send in questions that you knew may be a little weird or maybe a little odd or, or, you know, what have you. So thank you very much. I think it's going to be an amazing episode. I also wanted to talk briefly today about uh, the Satanists on Satanic Cinema podcast. And I wouldn't even really call it a traditional podcast, but that's sort of the medium that I'm putting it out there in. Um, And I wanted to talk to you about how it's expected 
that you experience this audio file or this this podcast that I'm, I'm generating. So Nine Cents Presents Satanists on Satanic Cinema is a project that I thought would be worthwhile entertaining so that it would allow everyone an opportunity to not only hear the mind of of, um, very, uh, in my opinion, powerful Satanists, but also influential individuals and really see what they thought of a movie that is supposed to be Satanic or actually has satanic elements in it that may or may not have been uh, noted uh, in the release of the film. So it's me sitting down with one or two other individuals, and we really just sort of riff. So a lot of it's going to be like riff tracks, um, a little bit of humor, just, you know, making up our own dialogue or commenting on situations that we find funny. But also, if there's a a theme or, or a scene or an individual that exhibits satanic behaviors, well then we're going to bring that out and we're going to tell you what we see satanic about it. And if it's the opposite of that, where it's supposed to be satanic and they're doing uh, things that you know people watching it think is satanic, well we clarify that too. So it's a little bit of humor, it's a little bit of education, it's a whole hell of a lot of fun for me, and I'm hoping for my guests um, and I've, I've had a number of guests already. I'm putting t- these together myself, and so it's going to be taking a little bit longer than uh, you know you may be wanting it to take. But it's going to be worthwhile. And so as I release these episodes, uh, I'm going to be posting on the website uh, SatanistsOnSatanicCinema.com, or you can get there by Nine Cents Presents.com, or you can get there. By just listening to the podcast, I'll tell you the right place, or look at me, look me up on social networking sites, and I'll let you know there as well. But so it, this is supposed to be experienced with you sitting down and watching the movie. So on the website for every episode, I'm going to show you the most inexpensive way and most oftentimes free way of watching this film that we watch, and then you just play this track while you're watching it, and it's like all of us are sitting down together, having a beer, and watching this film, and commenting on it. That's how you should be watching it. I don't want you to think that this is something that you can download, put in your uh, MP3 player, and drive to work listening to, and have it make a whole hell of a lot of sense. It's very much uh, not the case. This is not a traditional podcast. It is meant to be enjoyed and experienced with the film. So, it's it's really a, a... a culmination of you, the film, and the track that you'll be purchasing through iTunes or Amazon MP3 or whatever for less than a buck. Uh, and I truly do hope you enjoy them. We've put a lot of time into these, and I can't wait. If you haven't already checked out the website, for you to check out the website, see some of the upcoming guests and upcoming shows, movies. And, uh, you know, it's going to be really exciting. This is something that hasn't really been done like this before, so I'm excited to see how it plays out. And I want you to be part of it. So, so certainly check that out. And I, I will give you more information on every Nine Cents podcast episode until they're released. And then I'll sort of let it take its own course. But also, happy Blasphemy Day! Woo! September 30th! What day did I say it was? Did I say it was the 28th? I did say it was the 28th. It's actually the 30th. I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm completely off in my days. Alright, so Blasphemy Day. It's a holiday in which individuals 
and groups are encouraged to openly express their criticism of or disdain for religion. It was founded in 2009 by the Center of Inquiry. A student contacted the center in Amherst, New York, to present the idea, and they put their support behind it. So, Blasphemy Day! It is on and it is today, so you're probably not listening to this today because I haven't even released it yet today. Weird time jumping. But remember that for next year, <laughs> the 30th is Blasphemy Day, and you can, if you haven't already, blaspheme. It's encouraged. Probably not by religious institutions, but, you know, whatever. Alright, so let's talk about the show here, because that's kind of the real reason why you're here. In The Devil's Advocate, I'm I'm giving you a reading, and I was inspired by Reverend Bill M. and his reading of uh, Anton LaVey's essay, Summertime, and I gave you my own version of it. So, it's got a little music in the back end, and I'm reading you The Unknown Known. It is, uh, I guess you would call it a chapter, or the final chapter, or the final note in The Satanic Rituals by Anton LaVey. Uh, and it's really the reason why I call this show Nine Cents and Not Two Cents, or Soap Box, or Tickle Fights Anonymous. <laughs> so, uh, you know, and I, I wanted to bring it to you. I think it's a great uh, little essay article, chapter, whatever you want to call it. And I'm hoping you enjoy the music and um, my reading of it. Um, it was a lot of fun to do. And I may do something like that in the future, but I, I think I'm going to tap Reverend Bill M. again and see if maybe he would be willing to do it again in the future because I think, in my opinion, he did a little bit better than I did. And an Infernal Informant, what's next for Omar Kadar? I'm going to give you that article. And replacement ear grows on cancer patient's arm with rib cage cartilage. And there's actually a photo in this article, so I'm going to tell you where it is. You go check it out. Talk about Halloween-like creepiness. But this is real. This is actually happening. Uh, science is amazing. It is is really <laughs> catching up to us in a big, bad way. And that's a good way. The bad. That's the bad. The good bad, not the bad bad. That's clear. And in the creature feature, I'm going to give you my review of Hell on Wheels. I recently started watching this series, and it's really only its a second season, or maybe the end of its second season, but it's worthwhile if you like that sort of thing, I'll get into it. So how about I start... Start or stop? How about I stop blabbing? Start, stop. Yeah, I'll stop, and you start listening to me blabbing in The Devil's Advocate now. Say why bother? How you done, great? Let's cut the bullshit and get real. Why this purity you feel about evil? For Christ's sake, why? Don't lie to me. I guess, father. You gotta feel that old nick in your soul, and it becomes clear. Like it did for me, the first time. That's when I realized my one true calling in life. And what's that? Shit, man. (laughs) I'm a born devil's advocate. Welcome to the devil's advocate. I'm a Satanist. 
I am a member of the Church of Satan, but I do not speak for the Church of Satan. That is all. The Unknown Known by Anton Xander LeVay Referenced from the Satanic Rituals Musical Background by the London Festival Orchestra Ritual Fire Dance Despite others' attempts to identify a certain number with Satan, it will be known that nine is his number. Nine is the number of the ego, for it always returns to itself. No matter what is done through the most complex multiplication of nine by any other number, in the final equation, nine alone will stand forth. The true ages of time are cast in the likeness of nine, with all cycles obedient to its law. All matters of terrestrial concern may be evaluated by the infallible resolution of nine and its offspring. Action and reaction relative to humanity's tribal needs are contained within successive nine-year periods. The total of both, 18 years, is called a working. The beginning and end of each working is called a working year, and each midway point between the working years displays a zenith of intensity for the working which has been brought about. Nine 18-year workings equal an era, 162 years. Nine eras equal an age, 1,458 years, which has been mistakenly called a millennium. Nine ages equal an epoch, 13,122 years. Each age alternates as fire or ice, each differing in the means by which the control presents its dictum. During an age of ice, man is taught to refrain from his pride and to retreat from himself, then he will be good. During an age of fire, man is taught to indulge himself and to tear himself open and look inside. Then he will be good. During an ice age, God is above. During a fire age, God is beneath. Throughout each age, big things occur each 18 years, for the control must maintain a cycle of action and reaction within the greater cycle of fire and ice. Meaningful and pretentious messages are cast forth each 18 years and are acted upon for the 18 years which follow, at the end of which a new statement appears. The Ice Age, from which we recently emerged, began in the year 508 AD, just as the zenith of passion for which each working has inspired occurs halfway between the working years, so the greatest intensity of each age's message occurs at its midpoint. Thus, in the year 1237 A.D., man's fervor for what the last Ice Age represented has reached its summit. That age ended in 1966, and the new Age of Fire was born. The 20th century has prepared us for the future, and the coming of the Age of Fire was well heralded in the last working years of the Ice Age. The peoples of the earth have been touched by the vehicles of 1894, 1912, 1930, and 1948, and communication has been well wrought. The new satanic age was born in 1966, and that is why his church was built. 
the infant is learning to walk, and by the first working year of his age, that is to say, 1984, he will have steadied his steps, and by the next 2002, he will have attained maturity and his reign will be filled with wisdom, reason, and delight. Rege Satanas, Ave Satanas, Hail Satan. Welcome to the Infernal Informant. All right, first up, we have the Globe and Mail published this article, and this is uh, the GlobeandMail.com website. What's next for Omar Qadar? And this is by Colin Fries. Omar Qadar is back in Canada, now what? In terms of Canada's correctional system, precious little is clear at the moment, including where Mr. Qadar, 26, will be locked up, and for precisely how long he'll stay there. Correction officials say they hope to map out these issues in the coming weeks. Whatever they decide, Mr. Kadar's case puts into focus a deficit of correctional systems in the 21st century, namely that there appears to be no real game plan on how to deal with jihadist prisoners. In Mr. Kadar's case, the nature of his crimes have always been clear enough, but these terms of punishment have been amor- <laughs> amorphous and ever-changing. During his decade in Guantanamo Bay, a legal system that Canadian courts have likened to a legal black hole, he was at the mercy of arbitrary processes. Now that his feet are on Canadian soil, he has the full rights and protections accorded to prisoners under correctional policies and the Charter of Rights and Freedoms. That said, federal officials will have to consider latitude in terms of how they'll deal with his case. What was he convicted of? Arrested in Afghanistan as a 15-year-old combatant during a deadly 2002 firefight with U.S. forces, Mr. Qadar was the sole survivor of an Al-Qaeda faction that was wiped out. He lobbed a grenade that killed U.S. Sergeant First Class Christopher Spear and was shot three times before being captured. After spending eight years held in Gitmo as an alleged illegal enemy combatant, Mr. Qadar pleaded guilty to murder, attempted murder, spying, conspiracy, and material support for terrorism. The terms of his plea deal allowed him to serve out the majority of his 10-year sentence in the place of his birth and citizenship, Canada. How much longer is he going to stay in jail? His sentence will officially expire on October 30th, 2018, according to the statement Public Safety Minister Vic Taus circulated this weekend. But like the majority of Canadian prisoners, Mr. Kadar is almost certain to get parole before the end of his sentence. Still, having just arrived over Saturday, Mr. Kadar is something of a blank slate for the Canadian correctional system. Asked about Mr. Kadar's specific timelines, a correctional official replied Saturday, The request information is not available at this time, as an intake assessment and sentence calculation have not yet taken place. These processes mean it could take weeks to figure out what's next, but by most accounts, it's anticipated that Mr. Kadar could apply for parole as early as the summer. Where is he going to be jailed? 
For now, he's being assessed in Millhaven Institution, a maximum security penitentiary just outside of Kingston. But this is not necessarily his ultimate destination. The Correctional Service of Canada assesses offenders to assign a security level. Maximum security offenders will be kept in maximum security cells, said the correctional spokeswoman in response to Globe questions, without specifying which institution. But it's possible he could soon be sent to the equivalent of a supermax prison. In fact, that's where most Canadians convicted of terrorism offenses end up. Does Canada deal with terrorism convicts differently than it deals with other convicts? Yes. Terrorism suspects are often locked up among the worst of the worst in Canada's correctional system. According to, I, I want to say Canadia so bad just to sort of mock the name. Not because I have any issue with Canadians. I actually know personally or, or through the internet some rather amazing Canadians. But I just kind of want to just say that just to rub it. I don't know. It's, it's the, the arrogant American in me. <clears throat> I can't help but want to shit on other people for no reason. It's the American way. You'll excuse me. <laughs> so yes, terrorism suspects are often locked up among the worst of the works in Canada's correctional system. According to Corrections uh, Directive, terrorism convicts who are assigned a maximum security rating can be automatically rerouted to special handling units, or SHUs, facilities otherwise reserved for those prisoners who have proven, usually by stabbing or killing that they are too dangerous to be allowed in close proximity to other prisoners. Canada's correctional over... I gotta say, is... Is it worse? Is, I mean, are we talking degrees here? Because I would think it, it's it's actually a, a, a more difficult thing to stab someone close range, seeing their rage, fear, sweat, saliva, tears, than it would be to stand back and throw a grenade which this terrorist did. Uh, I would say that those guys are worse if they can stab you at close range than if you're off in a building or behind a car and you just throw a a large rock-sized cylinder that is expected to explode and kill people. That doesn't take much balls. But stabbing someone? That takes balls. So, I mean, just saying, you know, terrorists need to be taken care of like every other criminal because the bottom line, they're not worse than criminals, they are criminals <laughs> against the so- <laughs> uh, sovereignty of uh, you know whoever whomever they're attacking. But uh, that being said, I don't know why you would have to have a special case for one criminal over another when they're both criminals. And if they've both killed, I don't think that the grenade tosser is any more dangerous than the knife stabber. Yes, these are technical, legal terms. <laughs> the dude that shanked a dude is much more dangerous, in my opinion, than the terrorist who was probably forced into said position, and even if he did hate America, well, guess what? There's a lot of shit-eating Americans in America that hate America. So, yeah, he's not really that that far off the beaten path from some of our own inhabitants. Um, okay, so that being said, he's from Canada, goes to Canada, let him do his time in Canada, but don't treat him as if he's any different than any other criminal. And that's absurd, in my opinion. Um, Okay, so Canada's Correctional Oversight Body has raised questions about SHUs and the practice of labeling these offenders as the worst of the worst and creating a solidarity within its population. (laughs) There's a club inside the institution. We're the worst of the worst, eh? 
because that's what they what they say is hey <laughs> I can't even make fun of Canadians there's like nothing to make fun of um, except for the way they talk but then in northern Amer- North America the bordering states there they talk that way too so it's kind of like you're making I don't know, my obsession with mocking other cultures is, is dying this very second uh, it's a life of isolation. In the past decade, five alleged Al-Qaeda-inspired bomb plotters whose offenses seemed analogous to the ones Mr. Qatar has pled guilty to have been sent to SHU in Quebec, where their liberties are severely curtailed. These prisoners basically get to interact with few human beings apart from one another. So they have a chess club and reading time together. What's this argument against SHUs? They enhance no one's prospects for rehabilitation. Quite the contrary, according to experts. Mr. Kudar's lawyer said he's been a model inmate in Guantanamo Bay, and that, since he's already spent a decade locked up, he ought to get parole sooner or later. If that's where the Kudar case is heading, it could be seen as contrary to the public interest to warehouse him in the worst of the worst, especially as he needs to develop skills and coping mechanisms for life on the outside. Gotta be honest, if he was raised and born in Canada, I'm not entirely sure life is going to be that much difficult. Except, except, he won't be going through the torture that he might have endured in Guantanamo, and he probably won't get the, on the other side of that coin, wonderful treatment that he probably enjoyed. Meaning, um, we have citizens in America who live a poorer life, than those treated in our prisons. So that being said, it wasn't such a bad place. I I know a few people who would, uh, you know, opt in for a waterboarding or two if it meant that they could get three squares and a roof over their head, cable TV, and internet. Just saying. Okay, I don't really know them personally. I mean, I anecdotally know them. I, I've, I've seen them on street corners but I never really make eye contact after I read the words God bless on their paper because I can't take anyone seriously that ever says, has said, implies, or will say God bless, and certainly not written poorly with a crayon on a cardboard box. But let's just say that they were given the opportunity to trade places with Monsieur Kadar. Eh, I think they would. I, I genuinely think they would. Second thought, I'm not entirely sure that they would. <laughs> There's a stigma associated with being Mr. Kadar. Uh, minus the stigma, and given the freedom to leave if they chose to, which he didn't actually have. I'm actually shitting on my own point here. Where would Canada's conservative government like to see Mr. Kadar go? Conservative Public Safety Minister Vic Towers has made it absolutely clear that Kadar's case is no longer... I totally just lost where it was. A political process. This pie is fucking me up. And that he has every confidence his bureaucrats will manage the case in a fair and impartial manner. That said, Mr. Towers felt it prudent to add that he hopes his officials in the Correctional Service of Canada and the National Parole Board will consider evidence that shows that Mr. Kadar is still a dangerous guy. Mr. Towers released a statement this weekend pointing out that the prisoner was a youth 
who denies his father was a senior Al-Qaeda figure. The minister further pointed out that the prisoner participated in meetings involving senior Al-Qaeda leadership and was further radicalized by his experiences in Afghanistan, Pakistan, and Guantanamo Bay. Mr. Toes said he further hopes his subordinates will work to ensure the safety of Canadians is protected through appropriate programming for Mr. Qadar. That's kind of weird because, I, admittedly, I don't get the Al-Qaeda weekly newsletter, but they were anti-American, not anti-Canadian. Just saying. Um, what exactly is appropriate programming for a young man convicted of terrorism offensive? Good question. <laughs> I asked myself, or more appropriately, this author <laughs> asked himself, de-radicalization prison programs have been embraced by a variety of governments around the world, but the Correctional Service of Canada has any... If it has any, it's never highlighted them. There are growing fears about radicals proselytizing in prison, but it's just not clear how Canadian correctional officials try to manage the problem apart from isolating those who are the most worrisome. In some Canadian cases, correctional officials have refused to parole to Islamist prisons whom they feel to be too radical for release. In the case of one released prisoner, parole officials assigned a sort of good shepherd imam to look over him and ensure that the prisoner in question didn't relapse into his extremist ways. That's awesome. He had an AA member, an, an anti-Islamist dude assigned to him. How big a problem are convicted terrorists for Canada's prison system? Not that big compared to our allies. Fewer than 20 Canadians have been convicted or still face charges under the Anti-Terrorism Act that Parliament passed in 2001. In 2010, researcher Alex Wilner told the Senate that our allies could only wish their inmate populations were that low. By most accounts, the UK, France, Spain, and the US have been between 125 and several hundred Islamist terrorist convicts sitting in their respective prisons. But the flip side may be that Canada's prisons are relatively less far along in terms of countering radicalization. Hundreds of Guantanamo Bay prisoners have been released back into the wider world by now. What's the recidivism rate? More than 600 such prisoners have been let go at this point. About one quarter have returned to militant activity, according to the U.S. Officer of Director of National Intelligence. Omar Qadar isn't the only member of his family who's been sent to a terrorist training camp. Have any of his siblings relapsed? His three brothers appear to have lived relatively uneventful lives since returning to southern Ontario over the years, even after themselves being captured as terrorist suspects in Afghanistan and Pakistan. Will Omar Qadar get to see his family? It's not really clear at this point. Public Safety Minister Vic Taos said that he hopes the officials who make these decisions will duly consider radical remarks made publicly by members of the family over the years. Alright, so that's the article. Um, I, we have a, a problem with... Okay, so there are there's more than one problem with our legal system in the United States, and certainly in times of war, where... One, our legal system influences the rest of the world. So I would have a hard time thinking that Minister Vic Taos would have, and I don't even know if I'm saying his last name right, just so you know, uh, would have such a problem if America, their closest ally, literally, uh, had such an issue with this gentleman or negotiated a, a transfer back to his homeland. I, th I think a lot of it has to do with uh, America suspending the Bill of Rights for 
anyone in wartime, which isn't necessarily a bad thing, unless <laughs> unless it's like a decade later. Then maybe we should think about eh, giving them a trial. I mean, at some point we have to realize that being an American does not give you a special badge, <laughs> and that all human beings deserve basics of human respect. And now that's not to say that if someone lobs a grenade at you, you're supposed to respect them, because I certainly don't think so. And in that particular case, if it was my legal system, Lex Talionis, we wouldn't even be having this conversation at all, because he would have been taking care of 10 cent rule, bullet to the head. Really, really simple. But because our legal system wanted to uh, collect as much information as possible, and they captured him, and they detained him for a decade, trying to sap any Al-Qaeda information out of him that they could, at that point they realized that they couldn't really do any more harm, so they sent him home. What's the big deal? I mean, let's be quite honest. If he does get back into a radical Al-Qaeda cell, it's going to happen whether he's in prison or not, because he's not the only terrorist in prison. And like they were saying, there's sort of a camaraderie with the worst of the worst. And if you put all the terrorists in the worst of the worst, then you just have a terrorist cell sitting in a correctional facility, which the taxpayers are all paying for. Does that make any sense? And it's not like there's no outside communication between prisons. I mean, they have internet, they have phone calls, they have mail. Communication gets out. So whether they're sitting uh, behind a drugstore counter, yes, that was a <laughs> shitty, shitty stereotype, or if uh, they're in a prison, they're still going to be able to communicate as, as freely, to some degree, as anyone else. So the terrorism can still continue. If we're not going to stop terrorism by imprisonment, well then why are we, and, and that's a proven, then why are we even worried about this at all? If they kill someone, kill them, Lex Talionis. If they torture someone, torture them, Lex Talionis. And if time is served and America doesn't want to put a cap in it, well then maybe, Canada, you should follow suit. And uh, maybe they've had enough. I mean, every human being has their limits, you know? I mean, at some point you start touching... <laughs> the uh, electrical fence when you realize that you can't jump over it because it's uh, electrified, right? One would think. Okay, so the next one, I've, I've been ranting about this for so long. This is amazing to me. I mean, genuinely amazing. So this is from uh, NewYorkDailyNews.com. Replacement ear grows on cancer patient's arm with rib cage cartilage. Johns Hopkins University builds a new ear for cancer survivor, an intricate procedure. This is amazing. And this is written by Michael Walsh, New York Daily News, uh, published today. Surgeons from Johns Hopkins University grew an ear on a cancer survivor's forearm with cartilage from her rib cage in what's been described as the most intricate ear reconstruction in the continent's history. Really? I mean, this is real. And there's, there's, there's photos of it. You have to check out. If, uh, if you haven't seen it, just Google uh, grown ear and it should come up. We implanted the ear near the wrist and just let it live there so all the skin could grow, said Johns Hopkins University surgeon Patrick Byrne. Ear reconstruction surgery typically uses skin from the patient's ear or neck, but Sherry Walter of Bel Air, Maryland, had skin cancer, basal cell carcinoma, I think carcinoma, 
that was so pervasive that the doctors needed to remove most of her skin in those areas. Walter, 42, noticed a sore in her left ear in 2010. Her dermatologist diagnosed her with cancer within five minutes of examining her ear. Doctors removed the ear, neck glands, part of her skull, and lymph nodes where the cancer spread to her ear canal, reported ABC. A prosthetic ear was not the best option because of Walter's missing skull bone, so Byrne told Walter about a different, innovative procedure to grow a brand new ear near her wrist. It seemed a little strange, Walter said, but I was willing to try it. Byrne, an associate professor of... Oh, man, I'm going to try this, guys. (laughs) Otolaryngology implanted cartilage from Walter's ribcage, as well as skin and arteries from other parts, body parts, under her skin of her forearm in November 2011. It was under my arm for about four months. I just thought it was something from science fiction, Walter said. Walter's family used humor to cope with her circumstance. When her children would whine, she claims she would show them the ear growing from her wrist and say, I can't hear you. The doctors detached the growing ear from the arm to attach it to her head in March 2012. Byrne has since been working on matching the new ear cosmetically to her right ear. Doctors performed the final surgery of the 20-month process on Tuesday, according to the Baltimore Sun. Marilyn, I'm sorry, Byrne carved off cartilage to create a canal and stretched skin to shape an earlobe. The surgeons intend to reveal the finished ear in one week. This is fracking amazing. I mean, absolutely amazing. <laughs> they do this. And the photo is literally like this ear underneath uh, her forearm skin. Uh, it's a little bit disturbing, but fantastic. I wonder how many times her kids did have to deal with that I can't hear you gag. I would get a little pissed off. And then they like grab her wrist and shout in her wrist, Can you hear me now? Just, just like a bit of right back at you, mama. This, this joke isn't funny anymore, so how do you like being on the tail end of it? Uh, but let's be honest. This is amazing. I mean, she anyone that has to suffer deformity like that, oh, first of all, anyone who goes through cancer, you know, that's awesome that you, you fought through it and you survived. And it's it's unfortunate when people are taken by it. Um, but she fought through it and survived being completely scarred. I mean, it seems like an easy thing to say, yes, please, 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 whatever it takes, get my face back and, and thank you for healing me. But if you had to live with an ear in your forearm for four months, that's, I mean, that's pretty weird, right? I mean, I don't know. It, it would be a challenge, I think, because... You would have to be wearing long sleeve shirts or constantly be answering questions. And then, of course, there's just the natural deformity of, of this gigantic hole in her head that she has to cover up with her hair or with a scarf or something and all the questions that are associated with that. I mean, uh, real kudos out to this woman for being so strong in, in dealing with this. And then, fuck, man, Johns Hopkins University, you guys are amazing. I mean, amazing. This, I don't know why this is so stunning to me. Um, when we have other, you know, advances in, in, in um, medical fields, but I don't know, is it as amazing to you? <laughs> I mean, growing an ear, what's what's next? I mean, really, this is a, a huge, huge, and and this is experimental for now. What about in ten years, right? I mean, what else are we going to be growing? I was listening to an NPR show about three um, D printers and how they were literally printing out. Um, cartilage f- 
for for people um, hard valves, like three D printing, printing it out of just <laughs> printer composite. I mean, it's it's amazing where we're going technologically, just just stunning. All right, so that's I'm just going to end it there. I really wanted to bring this to you, not because I had anything particularly important or or profound or had any satanic implications or anything, um, but it, I, it's fascinating. You know, this is what we are, and and here's one thing that I, I do want to say, and I've touched on this previously, but fuck, let's be honest, I do that all the time. We we are capable of regrowing ears and wrists, and yet we still attribute our ancestors' feats of amazement and technology with aliens like when are we going to stop looking past ourselves and just realize that as a species we are fucking amazing and let's just be happy with that like what is wrong with that i don't understand it um okay so that's going to do it for the infernal informant let's go ahead and dive into creature feature you know dogs are different than cats and hey what if jack nicholson were Hey, what if We Are the World was sung by the cast of Friends? I think it might go something like this. Hi, everyone. I'm Jay Leno. Anyone remember when I was funny? Eat Doritos. Ladies and gentlemen, Dane Cook. Are you fed up with comedy that's made for the masses? Sick of stand-up comedian hacks with the same old routines that you've heard a thousand times before? Equally tired of shock jocks who equate loudness with laughter? Hello, my name is Reverend Bill M., creator and host of The Devil's Mischief, a show where every week I present a new hour of comedy and novelty of devilish proportions. So tune in to The Devil's Mischief. Visit devilsmischief.com or radiofreesatan.com to download the latest podcast. The Devil's Mischief. Carnal comedy clips and netherworld novelty numbers simply not made for the masses. Hello, my name's Dave Ingram. And I'm Donovan. And we are Metal Breakfast Radio. Inviting you to join us with a few beers each week. For a dose of metal scrutiny. Some verbal skullduggery. And a hell of a lot of rubbish. Rubbish! Find us on metalbreakfastradio.com, darksentinel.dk, and radiofreesatan.com. Are you looking for music from the 80s and the new wave, post-punk, and other hits? Jay Nothing, the host of The Metro, will take you back to the 80s with songs that made the decade of me so memorable. Get the weekly updates at RadioFreeSatan.com. And remember, Hail Satan. Oh, God. No. Just me. After the heart stops beating, the brain can function for well over seven minutes. We got six more minutes to play. Why are you screaming when I haven't even cut you yet? Welcome to Creature Feature.
All right, I wanted to talk to you about this show because I've been enjoying it for last season and now this season's almost over, but this full season. It's a show called Hell on Wheels, and it's on Sundays, uh, Sunday evenings, so tonight. It's on AMC, and I gotta say, AMC is doing some amazing, amazing shows. I mean, they're the ones that are bringing you Breaking Bad, which is a stunningly good show. They've got Mad Men, which I'm absolutely addicted to. Partially because I'm actually in advertising, but also partially because it's just a, it's a fantastically put together show. And then also The Walking Dead, which if you haven't seen, is really, really enjoyable and kind of creepy. And I think it's coming back soon too, so I'm kind of excited for that. But let me give you a little bit of about the show from their website and then uh, just sort of give you my little you know blurb here on it. The second season of Hell on Wheels continues its epic story of post-Civil War era America, focusing on Cullen Bohannon, a former Confederate soldier played by Anson Mount, and his dramatic journey west as he struggles to live leave his past behind. Executive producer, uh, produced by John Sheban of Breaking Bad and the X-Files, Joe and Tony Gayton, Faster and Uncommon Valor, and Endermall USA's Jeremy Gold, the show depicts the traveling town known as Hell on Wheels, a dangerous, raucous, lawless melting pot that follows and services the construction of the first transcontinental railroad. Hell on Wheels also stars Common as Ilam Ferguson, Colm Meany as Thomas Doctoron, Dominique McElliot, or McElliot as Lily Bell, Christopher Hayerdahl as the Swede, Robin McLevy as Eva, Tom Noonan as Reverend Cole, Ben Essler as Sean McGuinness, Philip Burke as Mickey McGuinness, and Eddie Spears as Joseph Black Moon. The series is executive produced by Endermall USA, with Entertainment One serving as the studio. So what what I really love about this show, and, and actually, first let me tell you how I found the show. When, and, and I've actually found this, when you move to a new era, area, um, you sort of just become inundated with that era, I'm sorry, area, and you just sort of, you know, take on, let me let me give you specifics here, what I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to here. When I moved to Georgia for basic... Uh, or advanced individual training um, for my first, you know, I guess, duty station in the military, we really just absorbed what Georgia was. And I really delved into the blues, and we would constantly just drive around and listen to some great old blues and uh, really find ourselves at just awed by the beauty that is Georgia. I mean, it's a stunning, stunning state if you've never been. Um, and, and so I, I really picked up the blues hardcore. I mean, I've always enjoyed them, but that's where I really just headfirst dove in. Uh, then I, my next duty station was Fort Knox, Kentucky. And you could actually say that was my first duty station because it was after training. And when I was in Kentucky, I learned to really appreciate bluegrass. Now, I, I reached out and reconnected with my family on my father's side. And it just became this sort of back home feeling and I really connected with the hillbilly within myself that I never really did before. Uh, like that, a friend of mine moved to Kentucky and he started really being inundated with uh, 
country music and everything. And so that's where he connected with this. And, and this show isn't really, I mean, it's, you know, about going out west, but it's the idea that, you know, you're, you're in a state that's really hillbilly and country, and so he reaches out to a, a country show and really connects with it. And that's where I heard of it first, was from him. Long story short, too late. And I was really, um, I, I, like, I loved Deadwood as a show, but it, I mean, I didn't really see that as like a Western show. This being tied so much with the railroad and cowboys and Indians, quite literally, <clears throat> I was a little hesitant about, but right after the first episode, I was completely both feet in uh, loving this show. Now, one thing that I, I do have a complaint about the show, I mean, the story leads you to believe that you're going to be hearing more about Bohannon, and what you're really realizing early on is that it's not about, it starts being about Bohannon, but the show is really just about the railroad and about the city, Hell on Wheels. And that may be an obvious thing because of the title, or and it may be obvious because that's <clears throat> that's the scenery that you're always seeing, and, and every every dramatic event is based around this town. But the title credits are focused around Bohannon. The early story is focused around Bohannon, and he really does in a lot of these episodes take backseat to the railroad or the the process of the railroad or the town itself and the running of the town or other characters. I mean, he's a common theme, but he's not the main character, which kind of threw me because I really started to connect with him after those first couple episodes, and he really actually reminded me of a a really close and old friend of mine um, through watching it, and so naturally, because of that, I wanted to, you know, obviously see more of him. But what they do, because they're not focusing on one character, they're allowed to tell multiple characters really complex stories and the interweaving of those characters. Now, this is what is amazing about this show, because you get a healthy dose of what it's uh, like to to be, uh, for example, a Native American who is trying to convert to this Protestants or, or, or really just Christian faith and what that does in relationship with his own people and how he's seen with everyone else. Uh, you get the idea of what it's like to be a black man who is free technically but still treated as a slave on this railroad. You get the idea of what it's like to, in, oddly enough, be a prostitute who is abused by Native Americans or, or, or sold as a slave through Native American tribes and uh, released as a prostitute and, and forced to live that life. You're, you're able to see what it's like to be Irish immigrants just trying to make a buck with that hope that someday they'll have enough to send money home to their family or to their mom and, and all the while trying to really identify who they are in this really wild and and uh, dangerous area that they have really no real connection with. And that's only a small portion of what's available in this show. So that's what I'm saying. is, is It's amazing in the complexity of it, in the depth 
Um, it, it's a lot of fun to see. If, if you like westerns, you're probably going to like it, but it's really not a typical western. It is very much post-Civil War, and so they, they reference, and all of the characters have connections with the Civil War, which is really fantastic because it would have been really easy just to say, oh, well, Bohannon, he was a Confederate, and, and you know this other person may have been uh, a Yank, and, and that was just sort of it as the connection, but everyone was affected by the American Civil War at that time, and they they allow us to see that effect uh, in, in every single episode and in every character's development. It's, it's absolutely amazing. So I would say if you enjoyed Deadwood, if, if you, you really enjoyed what it meant to watch a, the growth, the development of a location and, and how it's defined by its inhabitants, like Deadwood did, then you are going to love Hell on Wheels. It's a lot of fun. Definitely check it out, AMC Sunday nights. All right, and so that's going to do it for that. I actually do have a little bit of time here, but I am pretty damn tired, and I wasn't joking about that pie. <laughs> Not sitting well with my stomach, so <laughs> before I, I don't know, puke on my mic or you know, <laughs> continue bothering you about my own problems. I'm going to end it. Yeah. So that's going to do it for another show. Thank you so much for joining me. Um, I would love to hear from you. Really, I would. And, oh, here's one thing I wanted to note. I, I finally got off my ass and went over to iTunes and I noticed that I got a lot more stars, a lot more likes, uh, ratings, and I got a couple reviews. And I have to say, thank you very much. That is huge. And I know I, the act itself is not huge. But trying to convince people that listen to you to give you a review or to give you a rating is... I've been doing this for... I'm, I'm coming up on my second year doing this. It's like pulling teeth. <laughs> like, like you guys... Obviously, you enjoy tuning in and listening to my guests and listening to me rant and, and just sort of experiencing what I have to give you. And I'm very grateful for that. But to get you to go out there and click a star on iTunes seemed to have been, like, impossible. So when I noticed I got a couple of them, goddamn, you guys are fucking awesome. Thank you so much for doing that. It does mean a lot, because what it means is you put an actual Satanist above pseudo-Satanists, who also have podcasts that I have listened to virtually every single one of them, at least a couple episodes, just to kind of see my competition, and they suck. I mean, I know, I'm a realist here. I know my shortfalls. I'm very, very familiar with them. I study them every week, but they really suck. I mean, they are not quality podcasts at all. And not only that, the message is a lie. I mean, there's people who actually think there's a real devil out there, like a physical entity. Come on. So if you can get me above them by giving me a star rating, all the better. And it's not even about me. It's about Satanism and getting the truth out there. That's what this is all about. <laughs> so, and I'm just the, a little pinpoint here. So, you know, I mean, putting it in the in the last Creature Feature segments, um, Satanism is the Hell on Wheels town, and I'm just one of the characters circling around it. That's it. And you guys have the opportunity, the rare opportunity, to put that up on a pedestal higher, or on a search engine higher than a shit podcast. And I appreciate it. Every single one of you have done it. And if you haven't done it already... Uh, consider it, you know? I mean, there's there's neg- there's seriously no negative response to you for doing it. It's all just positive. 
and there's nothing wrong with that. All right, so if you, I would love to hear from you. Visit my website, 9centspodcast.com, and send your correspondence to info at 9centspodcast.com. Let me know of any suggestions, critiques, corrections, or general comments you might have. You can, uh, yeah, yeah, you know what? I've actually talked about this in a couple of episodes in the past here. Official 9 Cents Podcast clothing and accessories are available through aspapparel.com. Visit 9centspodcast.com and check out the store there, the, the clothing that's available, and I'm actually adding more to it. Uh, or just go check out aspapparel.com and see what other amazing licensed um, clothing and apparel that they have. I mean, some really amazing stuff. Church of Satan has official Church of Satan clothing represented there. Underworld Amusements, which I'm a huge fan of virtually everything that they do. Uh, they, Kevin I. Slaughter, Reverend Kevin I. Slaughter is an amazing human being, and he has a lot of really, really fantastic, some of them tongue-in-cheek, some of them overtly satanic, um, uh, clothing represented there, too, so that you have to check out. And then bands like the Quintessentials, badass satanic punk band, fucking, I love those guys, Les Hernandez, rocks, you must check out uh, their clothing there as well. So you got nothing to lose. Check it out, guys. Aspapparel.com. Now you can visit the SatanNet, Facebook, Google+, Twitter, or MySpace page for 9 cents and get updated on weekly topics. Listen to the show at RadioFreeSatan.com or download the show Monday nights via my RSS feed found at 9centspodcast.com. We're now also on Last.fm and YouTube. You can subscribe to 9 cents via iTunes by searching 9 cents and don't forget to leave a rating or comment as I just ranted. <laughs> on. And the most important part of this entire show, if you would like to learn more about the Church of Satan, visit churchofsatan.com. And if you'd like to hear other find satanic voices, music, or personalities, visit RadioFreeSatan.com, an online streaming radio station. Now, once again, thank you for joining me, and as always, I'm your host, Adam Campbell, and until next week, hail Satan. Okay, now I gotta go record that.